This morning is April 27th. It is 2014. And I want to tell you about something amazing. First, our message is going to be called Mad Men. Mad Men. Only one amen for Mad Men? Say, wait, Pastor, I don't know if we want to be called Mad Men. Let me tell you about a mad kind of faith. I met this couple because a faithful minister in this body a long time before he was called a minister reached out in an apartment complex and he said, Hey, John Joy Dang, I want you to come see a church where the presence and power of God is moving. Are y'all happy John and Joy are here? They showed up and Jesus showed up to meet them. John, Joy, you had a picture or something you wanted to share, didn't you? Come on, man. Why don't you stand up here and let's, uh, let's get that picture ready. Could you explain this to us, John? So, Genesis 21, and this is what I would always pray. Now the Lord was gracious to joy, as he had said, and the Lord did for joy what he had promised. Joy became... <laughs> Jesus! We love you guys. We love you, Dad! We love you, Joy!
Oh, church, is Jesus good? Those of you that haven't figured it out yet, they're not having a Starbucks can. <laughs> After five and a half years, they're having a baby. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. When I think about the Lord's goodness and what he's done for me, it makes me want to dance, dance, dance in the house of God. <laughs> oh, man, man, man. Are you wiping away tears, saints? Yes. That's exactly what it's going to be like at the resurrection of the dead. He will wipe away every tear. Our message is called Mad Men. It takes a crazy, mad kind of faith to look at the doctors and say, I'm sorry, I'm not resorting to your procedures. I believe the Holy Ghost has a work yet to do in me. It takes a crazy, mad kind of faith to look at your circumstance and say, nevertheless, I believe the promises of God. A crazy, mad kind of faith. And the Lord honors it. He honors it. He honors it. Oh, if I could be there when you tell your family, John, look what Jesus has done for me. Now, I got to pull it together and figure out how to preach a message, but I can tell you I'm not going to pull it together much because when I look around and I see all kind of crazy mad faith in this room, I see the kind of faith that says I got my own biological babies, but I want the babies from the world. I want the orphans nobody wants. I see a crazy mad kind of faith that says I'm born again, but they're not, and I got to go to them. I see a crazy mad kind of faith. You crazy Christians are the kind that aren't going to trip over doctrine on the way to preach in the prison. You're not going to get tangled up in a dispute while reaching out to the homeless. You're going to let the word and will of God be evident in the fruit of your lives. You got a crazy, mad kind of faith. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. You know, they say that the British are more refined than we are. All I know is that when you get filled with the Spirit of God, it'll take refinement and throw it out the window. But there was this one Scotsman. His name was John Duncan. And he taught about a love for Israel. And then he learned Hebrew and he started reading the original Hebrew text. And his love for Israel grew. He was a part of the Free Church of Scotland. So they named him Rabbi John Duncan. And he quoted something. He originated the quote that the great intellect C.S. Lewis later adapted and stole. He said, Christ either deceived mankind by conscious fraud or he was himself deluded and self-deceived or he was divine. There is no getting out of the trilemma. It is inexorable. You are going to come into 
contact with one of three truths. The king of kings is either a liar or a lunatic or Lord. There is no middle ground, friends. And this crazy pastor has decided that it's Lord. Amen. He opens the womb of the barren. He gives life to the dead. He heals our babies. And he has filled us with his glory in the name of Jesus. That's the king we serve. We live in an entertainment-saturated society, and I'm not exempt from it. I have often admired a man named Dennis Miller. He sometimes appears on Fox News. They call it Miller time. But I read something that Dennis said today in response to a question. They said, Dennis Miller, are you born again? His response Born again, I, born again, well, no, I'm not. Excuse me for getting it right the first time. Saints, we live in a society where the very things that are fuel for our fire are insanity to them. Many of you will recognize an actress named Julianne Moore, popular through the 90s, popular to this day. Those of you that watch those movies about Hunger Games, she's in one coming out. This is a quote from her. When she asked, was asked what she wanted to hear God say at those pearly gates, she responded, I guess he would say, well, I guess you were wrong. I do exist. Proud atheist. They think we're insane. Kiera Knightley. Oh, you can scarcely find a popular show that the young people like that she's not in. If only I wasn't an atheist, then I could get away with anything. You'd just ask for forgiveness and you'd be forgiven. Mocking our faith. To her, we must look insane. You can tell I'm moving ever so youthful in our audience. Seth McFarlane. It's like the civil rights movement, he said. There have to be people who are vocal about the advancement of knowledge over faith. Oh, yes, these are the people that we pay to see on TV. James Cameron, the popular director, the man this generation thinks found the Titanic. I've sworn off agnosticism, which I now call cowardly atheism. Well, he is right. They're both cowards. Kathy Griffin. I wanted to make sure I didn't leave out any age segment here. Kathy Griffin. Listen to what Miss Kathy says. I am a militant atheist, she said while accepting her Emmy. A lot of people come up here and they thank Jesus for this award. I want you to know that no one has less to do with my award than Jesus. He didn't help me even a little bit. So all I can say is, suck it, Jesus. This award, she holds up, is my God now. Now, we are in an interesting situation where a man who believes that former Buddhists and backslidden Catholics can get filled with the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost breathe life into their bodies and deliver on a five-year-old promise. 
is considered insanity. But a woman speaking in a defamatory way about the king of kings is in her right mind. Church, we are in a precarious position, and I am so glad to be there. I was born for this. You do not have a peacetime pastor. You do not have one who wants to puff pillows and become a candy apple Christian. You have a pastor who was prepared for war by the Holy Ghost. And my aim is to prepare you for war. It was no different in the biblical times, church. You think, oh, well, it's been so corrupted now. But back then, they were, they were holy, you know. Turn with me to the third chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Say there when you are there. Have I got your attention, church? Has Jesus got your attention today? Oh, man, I don't know what you're hoping for out there, but I know though it linger, wait for it. God has never lied. He comes through every time. In the third chapter of Mark, say another time. Another time means that there was a time before this time. Another time, he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. The king of glory did not hide in shadow corners. The king of glory was not ashamed to be who he was. He lived out loud. He loved without limit. And he did the things that he did for the whole world to see. Tell me Christianity is a private matter. Stand up, he said, in front of everyone. Oh, I feel a Holy Ghost word for you today. Stand up in front of everyone. Let your voice be heard. Let the testimony of God be heard. Let the world know what you're waiting for so that when it happens, they can rejoice like we do with John and Joy. Stand up in front of everyone. Not stand up in front of a few where it's comfortable. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? Could there be a more obvious answer? It's funny how religion mixed with satanicism, if there could be such a word, becomes so wicked. Men can believe they're absolutely doing the right thing and have so missed the heart of God. They remained silent They knew better than to answer the question they had dealt with Jesus before. After all, this said, another time he went to the synagogue. They had wrestled with the great Jewish carpenter before and lost. They remained silent. He looked around at them in anger. What did Jesus look at them in? Anger. Glad I'm not the only one. And deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and it was completely restored. What will they do when they see a miracle? Well, your lives are miracles. If you tell people what you hope for, tell people what you're standing in faith for now and you commit yourself to a position, then when it happens, what will they do? 
it will commit them to a position. John Joy, don't everybody know that you were praying for a baby? Every year, wasn't it a little harder to maintain the testimony? I'm praying for a baby. The God we serve will leave a nation desolate and void for almost two millennia and come through in a single day. That's the God that we serve. He's the great God of the comeback because he never felt behind. When he says it, it's done. Listen to their response. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians of how they might kill Jesus. When confronted with truth, do we want to kill the messenger because we don't like it? If it offends our religious sensibilities most of all, do we want to kill the messenger? Jesus Christ is interested in saving and restoring lives, not patting men on the back who have long phylacteries and big tassels. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. And a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Do you hear a couple names there that you wouldn't normally associate with Israel? Idumea? That's the region of Edom. The regions of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus was drawing a crowd of undesirables like you and me. Oh, man, how the church longs to be pretty enough. How the church longs to be well-educated enough. How the church longs to be acceptable in the eyes of the world. And I say, it's insane. Either they're madmen or we are. One or the other. There is, there is no mixing of oil and water. There is no mixing of light and darkness. Belial and the Spirit of God can have no fellowship. One will triumph over the other. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep people from crowding him. See, Jen, I'm not the only one that has those days. Sometimes I just need to get along with God for a little while. For he had healed many. So those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! The demons cried out, He was the Son of God. Now let's keep score here for just a minute. The great Son of God has shown up on the scene. And on Sabbath, he broke somebody's religious little heart and he restored a man. The crowd surrounded him of undesirable people with demons and diseases. The thing is, the diseases left and so did the demons when they touched Jesus. Talk to me about undesirables. I was not born saved. I don't come from a desirable line. I am not a fifth or tenth or hundredth generation preacher. I come from thoroughly pagan people. But I know what it was to have my disease lifted and my demons cast down. And I will love him all the more, all the day. I'm absolutely madly in love with him. 
But he gave them strict orders not to tell anyone who he was. Jesus never wanted the testimony of a demon. He wants your testimony. Say it. He wants my testimony. Say it again. He wants my Oh, stand up in front of everyone. He wants your testimony. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. What did he do? He called to him those he wanted. Jesus Christ has been looking for you. Even as Adam hid in the garden and God sought him out, he seeks out today those who will worship in spirit and truth. He called those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them apostles so they could put it on their license plate and make money off of it. Oh, there's all kind of lunacy in the world. I want to get a kind of Holy Ghost mania. I grew up in the generation of Hulk Hogan and Hulkamania. We imitated him. If anybody was under 150 pounds in the room, they were likely to get suplex. We tried to tear our shirts off like he did, and it left us with collars. Oh, in the great King Jesus, I see so many things that I want to follow. I want to be like him. I love him. I'm baptized in his name, his character, his authority, and his reputation, and I won't stop until people feel about me like they did about him. He appointed 12, designating them apostles so that they might be with him. Why has he called you? Why has he designated you? Why has he appointed you? He wants you to be with him. He doesn't want you to accept the testimony of a man 300 years before you that was with him and tell you to camp there. He does not want you to accept the testimony of some preacher you heard on the radio and say, because he was with him, I don't have to be with him. I will take his secondhand knowledge. He wants you to be with him. Oh, it is a mad, crazy kind of faith that will turn away from everything that you can see and press into that which you can't see. And then when you get there, be happier than a man who has everything because you do and they don't. Oh, a mad, crazy faith. He appointed the 12 to be with him. Where are you? Are you with him today? Are you with him today, church? Do you stand up in front of everybody and let them know about your king? Or do you cower in a corner clinging to your religious rules? Stand up. Stand up. They stand up and receive their enemies, and they are proud of their wickedness. This world is going to get what it deserves. Those who are born again or born of heaven, off-world, so to speak, citizens, we will not get what we deserve. We will get what he decides to give us. Oh, I love my king. Are you with me this morning? Pick up with me in verse 20. Just to be clear, Jesus has been healing on the Sabbath. He has been casting out demons, and he has appointed his 12. And now in verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house, and again the crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not able to eat. How many people have to be in there that you can't eat? I've been crowded in a lot of rooms with you people that's never kept me from eating. 
I like to eat with you. I like to go many, many times back and forth to the buffet and feel like we were good stewards of our dollar. (laughs) It was so crowded he couldn't eat. I've seen Michael Hutchinson eat and he guards his plate with his left hand and he has a conveyor belt with his right hand going from his plate to his mouth. So many people he couldn't eat. What would that look like? I think there's a crowd. I think there's a serious crowd. Somebody say a serious crowd. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said... He's out of his mind. Who said that? Who said it? His family. Who are they speaking about? You know, I've noticed in this country, nobody speaks bad about Billy Graham, but they'll speak bad about Jesus. I never heard a curse word that mentioned Billy Graham in it, but I hear him all the time that mentioned Jesus in it. What did they think of him? He's out of his mind. So let me ask you, do you want a mad faith? Do you want a Holy Ghost insanity trip? Because he's not out of his mind, he's out of their minds. He's not ruled by the flesh. He's not controlled by their contrived appearances. He sees his father. He wants to be like his father. He's not out of his mind, he's out of theirs. Where are you? Are you fitting neatly into this little sugar-coated packaged Christianity that is perfectly acceptable just like our popular evangelist? Or are you just a little bit dangerous to where even the religious people shudder around you thinking maybe he's crazy or maybe he's lying or maybe there's something divine about him? See, I think the gospel is not just liar, lunatic, or Lord. I think very, very much the gospel is bad, mad, or divine. It's okay with me if some think I'm bad. It's okay with me if some think I'm mad. As long as on that day they see something divine. Is John a bad husband? Is he a bad husband? His wife wants a baby. Shouldn't give up Starbucks and go pay for in vitro fertilization? Is John mad? Is he crazy? Because he just is expecting something different to happen without doing anything different. Or is there something divine at work in John and Joy? The Holy Ghost wants to get a little credit for their lives. Bad, mad, or divine, church? I want a mad faith. I want the kind that makes some wonder. Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he a lover of the Lord? Put people in a box. Corner them in. Let your life speak a message that says, Hey, buddy, you got to choose. And choose today. You'd be surprised what God will do when you stand up in front of everyone. He might just hit it out of the park. He's always looked for men who would risk something for his glory while others sit back, play it safe in the well-trotted, well-accepted, well-worn-out truths that not even the demons argue with. Are you with me this morning? Can you get a little bit of excited with me this morning? Rookie, are you happy to be in the house of God? Oh, my goodness. His family thought... He was out of his 
mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. His family thought he was crazy, and the religious community thought he had a demon. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. I want to skip down to verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call to him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. In one of the greatest honors in my entire life, a little Vietnamese couple walked up to me and said, we have something to tell you that we haven't told our families because you are my family. Church, We can sit around and argue all day long and not one profit will be made for the kingdom of God, but I'm going to run you over doing the will of God every day. You better get out of my way because I won't be held back. Some sit and deliberate. Of course, in the end, they just don't. And some are so insanely, madly in love with Jesus, they just do. That's not working for salvation, friends. It's somebody who knows they came from nothing worthwhile and have now received everything and they're so indebted they can't help it. Oh, I love him. Do you love him? I had a great little experience reading about revivals in Scotland and revivals in Ireland this morning. And I found a reverend named John Robertson He was a part of a revival in Ulster, Ireland in 1859. In 1859, they didn't have, hear me young people, the Google. (laughs) I love when older people say things like that. Did you find that on the internet? Yeah, the web. A hundred thousand people got saved one little bitty rural village at a time. Do you know how 100,000 people get saved? It comes from testimonies like the one you're about to hear. John Robertson, speaking of a woman in his congregation, said during the revivals of 1859, a woman living in Aberdeenshire Village with her mother and sister was converted and was full of enthusiasm. Oh, man, that we could have Christians full of enthusiasm. They're full of so many things, but enthusiasm is not usually one of them. She went from door to door pleading with the people to let the Lord Jesus into their hearts. She went what? Door to door. She had found the king. She was in love with him. He changed her life. And she went door to door. Door to door. When's the last time you shared the gospel more than five times in a week? How many doors are around you? Oh, man, we've grown so apathetic. We've grown so apathetic that we let these whoremongers stand up on television and blaspheme our God, and we still pay 
to have them entertain us. Oh, man, if you get a taste of Holy Ghost revival, if you get it down in your soul, if you get a miracle or two working in you, you'd be more pregnant than joy is. I'm telling you, we don't need what they have to offer. And we ought to look crazy to them like they ought to look crazy to us. The mother and sister, this is the family of the woman who was excited. The mother and sister had consulted together. And they came to the sad conclusion that poor Mary had lost her mind. Do you remember when we got saved, Matthew? How many people said he's out of his mind? David, were you with me at the psychic convention? (laughs) Oh, man, they put up all over my hometown signs that said psychic convention, and I thought it was an invitation. I was 18, and people said, don't be so zealous, but there was not enough water to put out that fire. Went straight into the room where they're teaching on sorcery and said, how do you feel about the Bible? Oh, we think the Bible's a good book. Well, what do you think about this verse that says a sorcerer should be put to death? Uh, um, next question. Cowards. Asked for the president of the convention. Um, hold on, I'll go get him. Looked up in the distance and his eyes met ours and he turned and ran like a scared child. From a ferocious animal. That was somebody who'd been born again six months. Went all over town. Oh, dear God, he broke the law. Yes, I broke the law. I tore their signs down everywhere I found them. Everywhere. I defaced their property. What did Gideon do? Oh, pastor... Romans 13 says, I know exactly what Romans 13 said. Is there any Holy Ghost fire in you at all? Are you offended at people who offend the Lord? Do you have in you the will to stand up in the name of Jesus? Or are you going to cower in a corner while our very nation goes to hell on our watch? Here's your qualifying statement. Jesus spoke in parables. It's almost like he didn't care whether they understood. He knew that those who wanted truth would find it. I'm not as self-confident as Jesus is. Don't break the law unless the Holy Ghost tells you to. There are some laws that need to be broken. It was perfectly legal to have a holocaust in Germany. Sometimes the law is wrong. The mother and sister consulted together and they came to the sad conclusion. Mary's out of her mind. The village doctor, along with the doctor of the neighboring village, was called in. They consulted with each other and after conferring, they came to the same conclusion and thereupon signed the schedule for her admission into the insane asylum. Simply because she had besought one and all of those whom she loved to come to Jesus. She looked crazy to them. Her own family thought she was insane because she now had an uncanny spiritual fervor that was not satisfied to let those around her go to hell. You ever seen a woman that gets the revelation that it's wrong to kill a baby? And she already had They usually become the world's greatest activist. 
having been that wrong. Now they never want someone to make that mistake again. And our six-foot-tall icicles act like it's not a big deal. Oh, you may have murdered your baby. You may have, you may have made wrong choices. And Jesus forgives you. Yes, He forgives you when you realize that you are a murderer and ask for His help. Not when you couch it in politically correct language like I just made a choice. Put it in some context, friend. Made a choice to do what? Oh, well, we don't want anyone to feel bad. I very much like it when people feel bad if it produces a harvest of righteousness. A man called me yesterday and said, I don't know if I'm saved. I'm hurt all up inside. I said, well, tell me what happened. Well, I met with one of the pastors for a couple hours. And after talking with him, I feel searing conviction. I said, good, I'll see you tomorrow. Click. How? How could you do that? Because if a man recognizes where he's really at, then God can do something about it. Amen. But as long as we pat them on the back and we say, no, no, friend, I was there on the day of your profession of faith. I I signed your certificate. Well, good. They'll be very confident in their certificate while their soul's damned. We need to let go of our religious ideals sometimes because they're not Bible ideals. The Bible tells us that His Spirit will testify with your spirit that you're a son of God. You and all the powers of hell that aligned against me would never convince me I'm not His son because I feel His Spirit beating inside me. And it's the only thing I have of value. I am simply mad for Him. We stand at the precipice of risking everything that we own, which is not a lot, don't be impressed. And everything that we've built... And it's not a threat at all. They cannot take away from me the things that I really value. And in the name of Jesus, we're going to win that battle too. Let me just take a minute to pray for Scott Pierce. This is a man who's filed the lawsuit against this ministry. Is that all right? Even if it's not all right, I'm about to do it. If you would like to do it with me, then the way that that works is you pray when I pray. And when we say amen, it's not like abracadabra. It means so be it unto God. And if you can't say it, then don't. Mighty God, I lift up before you Scott Pierce now. I say, Lord, let him have a crazy kind of conversion experience. Mighty God, save his soul. He's deceived. He's deceived. Save him, mighty God. In the name of Jesus, pierce that worldly veil. Oh, amen, amen. And if he can't be saved, then he's condemned already. And I'll leave that between him and my God. On the night preceding the day upon which she was to be sent to the asylum, the sister and mother had strange thoughts. And when they came and met in the morning, the mother said to her daughter, Do you know, I've just been lying in bed wondering all night. Is it Mary that is mad or are we? The daughter said, Well, you know, mother, I too have been tossing and turning all night, wondering about exactly that same thing. They thought deeply and searched their hearts until they came to the conclusion that it was not Mary, but they themselves who were mad. Eventually, Mary's whole family, 23 in all, came to Christ. Can we have an amen for a mad faith? Maybe we need to get just a little bit crazy. Maybe we need to take it to a new level. Maybe sitting back all conservative-like is not getting it done. 
I mean, Jesus was not all that conservative. Have you ever read his words? So, oh, no, no, Jesus was very conservative. He wore a suit and tie just like my pastor, and he had books in his library hiding behind a leather desk. The Jesus I read about boldly confronted the evils of his day. He associated with those that the religious didn't like. He afflicted the comfortable, and he comforted the afflicted. He was not at all worried about what men thought. They thought he was out of his mind. What do they think about you? Oh, my goodness. Bad, mad, or divine. Turn with me to 1 Samuel 21. Say there when you were there. Bad, mad, or divine. You know, it's a funny thing. When you read scriptures like Acts 13, 22, which I'm not going to read now, but... It is in the Newer Testament, obviously. And it's a quote about David saying, I found him to be a man after my own heart. Therefore, attributing David's heart to God's heart. Older Testament and the New Testament both confirming a witness. Confirming a witness as to David's heart. But can you imagine watching David's life? In 1 Samuel 21, we pick up a story with David. And I want to ask you, bad, mad, or divine? 1 Samuel 21, David went to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? You know, when Jesus walks in the room, people often tremble. That mark of the revival in 1859 where people were so overcome with the power of the Spirit that they trembled and fell to the floor long time before TBN started their weirdness. Apparently, there's an authentic moving of the Holy Ghost that will grip a man's spirit to where his body no longer functions the way that it should. Why is no one with you? David answered to him like the priest. The king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, No one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I have told them to meet me in a certain place. We won't wrestle theologically today. But suffice it to say, Saul never said that to David. He never said it to David. What would you say if someone says something that is not true? Hmm, How about that? Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered, David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. You have a question before you. You have a question before you every time you open your Bible. You have a question before you every time you walk into a service. Am I going to get ordinary bread today or am I going to get extraordinary bread? Today, I have the choice to be fed from the mind of men or I have a choice to be fed from the very presence of God. It's up to you. But this day in Nob, there was no ordinary bread to be found. Isn't it amazing how when you run out of ordinary, you start to seek the extraordinary? Isn't it amazing that when you look at your pregnancy test and it is not right, you begin to look for a miracle. You know, if you never had to struggle, 
If you never had to fight to scratch hand, tooth, and nail to believe the promise of God, then you don't really know what faith is, do you? When you run out of ordinary, it forces you to look for extraordinary. Why are the poor rich in faith? They don't have very much ordinary. So all they have to them becomes extraordinary. Know why Hollywood is godless? We've paid them enough to be godless. They don't have to trust God for anything. You want to know why our government is godless? We've paid them so much that they can be godless. Like Margaret Thatcher said, it's a great idea till you run out of everybody else's money. As long as they have all of your money to spend, they have no need for anything. They think themselves kings. By the way, have you ever heard the phrase, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's? Does anybody in here accept that as a biblical quote? It is a biblical quote. In this country, who is Caesar? Our constitution begins with we the people. We do not have a Caesar. Do you hear me? Go home and wrestle with that one. It is our responsibility to rule and to govern and to reign. So, oh my goodness, is he becoming militant? No, I'm saying you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility, church. If we do nothing, wicked prevails. Evil prevails. There is no Caesar in this country. Our elected officials are just that. Our elected officials. They're supposed to be public servants. You say, well, they're not serving my interests. Then vote. But that's not what we're talking about today. Consecrated bread. David replied, indeed, women have been kept from us. Single men say amen. Amen. Indeed, women have been kept from us. Amen again. Amen Amen one more time. Amen Amen a little louder. Women have been kept from us. The men's things are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread since there was no bread except the bread of his presence. Oh, man. Maybe when your bellies are not full, when we're not fat, dumb, and happy, then we could crave his presence. Have you ever wondered what amusement is, what entertainment is, what our fascination with acceptance of the world is? It's something to satisfy us besides his presence. And when you're denied all of those things, all that's left is his presence. Friends, either you look like an insane person to the world or they look insane to you. But if you're getting along just fine, you're not very much like Jesus. Jesus' own family thought he was crazy. Verse 7, now one of Saul's servants there that day detained before the Lord. He was Doeg, the Edomite, Saul's head shepherd. I don't have time to teach you about Doeg. Let me give you the cliff notes. Doeg has the title shepherd, but he is from Edom. He's a descendant of Esau. He's the fleshly kind that sell out the spiritual blessing for whatever can be given them. He's a hireling. He's the lowest sort of human being. When King Saul later wants to kill Ahimelech, he can't find a soldier in his army that will do it, but he found a hireling priest shepherd who would do it. Ahimelech killed 85 priests at Nob. 85 priests. 
By the way, let's just read a verse for fun. How about pick up in 22, 18. Then the king ordered Doeg, you turn and strike down the priest. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put the sword to Nob, the town of priests with its men and women and its children, its infants, cattle, donkey, and sheep. What kind of guy is Doeg? The kind that causes people to die. Now talk to me about false teachers. Men who preach for money. What are they doing? These people died, but they had a chance at salvation. What happens when you deceive men about their souls? But you know what? Doeg got along just fine with the kingdoms of the world. Doeg was perfectly at home in Saul's kingdom. Of course, he'll never be at home in God's kingdom. Oh, the contrast is so stark. Back to verse 8 of chapter 21. David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's business was urgent. Again, uh, it seems as if David was not, oh, I don't know, entirely truthful. Of course, he's going to leave with extraordinary bread and a sword. Was Jacob entirely truthful? But he left with a spiritual blessing. Now, the wicked person will say, God's obviously endorsing lying. And the man with eyes to see will say, sometimes men don't have all their stuff together, but if they hunger for the right things, they'll be filled with righteousness. The priest replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Eli, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. Come on, say, if you want it, take it. If you want it, take it. You know what? Most of the body of Christ doesn't want a sword. They're happy to sit under Doeg. They're happy as long as nobody's putting them to death. But I want a sword. I want the extraordinary bread of his presence. And I want to go to war. I want to stand up for my Christ the way he stood up for me. I want to stand up in the midst of the synagogue. Because he has called it. Do you want to sit on your salvation? Hands folded. Sit pretty. Be excited that the world accepts you or do you want to appear as a madman in their eyes? How about verse 10? That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. If you're struggling to put these together, I'm going to help you here in just a minute. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David the king of the land? Isn't he the one whom they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. He pretended to be what? And while he was in their hands, he acted like a? He acted like a? How must you look to the world? Making marks on the door of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard, Achish said to his servants, look at that man. He's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to me to carry on like this in front of me? I think the presence of King David in front of King Achish was a little bit like some of you crazy charismatics in front of the religious. John MacArthur thinks you're insane. He does. He doesn't even consider you a part of the body of Christ. 
Why do you think it made one king so upset to see the other king like that? See, when the world sees somebody who has put together a lot like them, just insanely in love with Jesus, it says more about them than it says about you. They'll sing in the shower, but they won't sing out loud in front of the rest of the world. They'll love when it's self-serving, but they won't love when there's nothing in it for them. They don't know this insane, mad kind of faith. So, well, Eric, if I, if I read the story right, I mean, it was just David lying again. I mean, there's no overt spiritual uh, a purpose here. He just seems to be a lying liar, you know? It's funny how people will always have to wonder, are you a liar? Are you a lunatic? Are you a lover of the Lord? What would you think about David if you were watching him here? Pick up with me in chapter 22. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam when his brothers and his father's household heard about him. They went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt. Do we have anybody in distress or in debt in here? Oh, so we got a bunch of liars in here. Nobody in here has debt? Are you kidding me? You're Americans. I know better. You have debt whether you have any personal debt or not. We have the kind of deficit that will never be paid off. The deficits that we're about to run up have literally ruined the country, but I don't want to teach economics in the house of God today. Let me simply say it's irresponsible to promise to pay for things that you cannot All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented. Are you discontented with what you see going on around you? I am. Gathered around him and he became their leader. So what do we have about David in these very few chapters? We have a man who had the presence, the bread of his presence. We had a man who had the sword to contend with the enemy. We had a man that the rest of the world thought was insane And a bunch of scoundrels and outlaws were being drawn to him. How is he a man like God's heart? Was David bad? He endangered Ahimelech's life. Do you hear me? What he said to Ahimelech ultimately gets Ahimelech killed. Ahimelech makes a choice to support David. And so Saul has him killed for it. Bad David. Was he mad? Well, he acted like it in front of Achish, didn't he? Was he divine? He had the bread of God's presence, and he had a sword in his hand, and he gathered around him all those nobody else wanted, and for the first time in world history, he established a kingdom based on faith in Yahweh God. And he began to destroy every enemy that God set up before him. And he brought the presence of God into a tabernacle on a mountain for the whole world to see. Was King David bad, mad, or divine? The Bible calls him divine. Say, well, Eric, are you arguing for in any means necessary? No, no, I'm not. The end does not justify the means. I'm simply saying who rightly judges the man who is led by the Spirit except the Spirit of God. I am not interested in the world's approval. Do you think it's a mistake? Could you put Mark 2.23 on the screen? We're going to read through, stay where you're at, and we're going to read this on the screens. Do you remember that our passage in Mark 3.1 said, at another time? 
That's because there was a time before it. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick up some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, that's the son of Ahimelech, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he, and also, he also gave some to his companions. Church, he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for Sabbath. I need you to get this. Religious rules were not put here to constrain us. They were put here as a guide to free us to do what is right. They were put here to free us. Jesus Christ himself refers to the events of Samuel 21 and likens them unto him and his disciples. Did you catch the connection? How interesting that King David and Jesus both were either liars, lunatic, or the rightful ruling monarch. How about their followers? Do I have a young Mary in the house of God today? Do I have somebody that is willing to look insane to their family to see others saved? Do I have somebody who is not going to judge simply by what their eyes see but can rightly divide the Word of God? You know, turn with me to the book of Hosea. Let me tell you about Hosea. Hosea is one of those guys that shows up prior to Israel's Captivity in Assyria. Hosea is one of those men that walked a lonely road, who preached an unpopular message, and he lived in a way that the church world would shun. I mean, how would you feel if your pastor walked in, and it'll never happen with this pastor, and said, you know, the Lord told me to take unto myself a whore for a wife. It really hurts some of your feelings. I'll say the word whore in church, even though the Bible says it. How would you think about that pastor? And yet God said it to him. Hosea had a lonely road to walk. The things that he preached about the very most can be summarized in four words. Idolatry, wickedness, going into captivity, and a restorative promise. See, idolatry always breeds more wickedness. And wickedness always breeds captivity. Are you hearing me, Americans? You want to know what to preach to your neighbors? Our idolatry has caused an increase of wickedness. The wickedness will absolutely result in captivity. There is no way around it. Your money may say, God bless America, but our actions spit in the face of God. Say, not mine. Better get on the right side of things. Make your position clear. Better let the world know that you stand with the king that they think is either crazy, bad, or divine. And the fourth thing that he spoke about was promise, restorative promise. See, if we will begin to call out idolatry, if we will begin to talk about how wickedness is increasing, if we will begin to speak about the captivity that will certainly come upon this nation, then we can begin to preach about the restorative promise. But until this nation understands its position, there's no advance of the gospel. 
There's no advance of the gospel because they see themselves as good already. You want to know why revivals are happening everywhere else in the world? They quickly come to the knowledge that they are monstrous sinners. They're out of ordinary. And so they're looking for extraordinary. We are not out of ordinary. Nor do we look at ourselves as idolatrous. We're pretty sure that we're the shining light in the world. Politically, I align with people that would call themselves American exceptionalist, except I don't think America is as exceptional as they think it is. We can quote leaders from the 80s like Ronald Reagan, but we haven't seen their backbone in some years. And even those of you that were in mature years during those years, remember they weren't as good as men are saying they are now. It's funny how that happens. Turn with me to Hosea 9. Do not rejoice, O Israel. This is about America this morning. Do not be jubilant like the other nations, for you have been unfaithful to your God. You love the wages of a prostitute at every threshing floor. Threshing floors and wine presses will not feed the people. The new wine will fail them. They will not remain in the Lord's land. Ephraim will return to Egypt and eat unclean food in Assyria. They will not pour out wine offerings. You already hear Wednesday's message. They will not pour out wine offerings to the Lord, nor will their sacrifices please him. Such sacrifices will be to them like the bread of mourners, and all who eat them will be unclean. This food will be for themselves. It will not come into the temple of the Lord. Do you know how many offerings that are given in churches around this country that do not really make it into the Lord's offering? It turns out to be food for themselves. Why? Because the only reason they ever gave it was for the promise of God giving them more. They had turned God's system of sacrificial giving into simply a way for them to disguise and mask their greed under religious circumstances. What will you do on the day of your appointed feast, on the festival days of the Lord? Even if they escape destruction, Egypt will gather them and Memphis will bury them. Their treasures of silver will be taken over by briars and thorns will be overrun in their tents. The days of punishment are coming. The days of reckoning are at hand. How popular would you be at your community swimming pool if while you sat around and talked to the other housewives, you told them, I think a serious day of reckoning is coming. We spent too much on plastic surgery and not enough on orphans. We have padded our houses with luxury while God's children died. Oh, they might not invite you to their cosmopolitan tea socials. They might even think you were crazy. But it would give you a chance to tell them about a restorative promise. The days of punishment are coming. The days of reckoning are at hand. Let Israel know this. Come on, say know this. How many of you know that the prophet said it over and over and over, but Israel didn't know this? They didn't listen. You know what it is to be deceived? It means you don't know you're deceived. If you knew you were deceived, you wouldn't be called deceived. Know this. Makes me want to say, know this, man. 
The days of punishment are coming. The days of reckoning are at hand. Let Israel know this. Because your sins are so many and your hostility so great, the prophet is considered a fool. And the inspired man, a maniac. The prophet, a fool. And the inspired man, a maniac. How do people think of you? Because when a nation gets as wicked as our nation is, they look at their prophets and say they're fools. They look at men that are operating under the anointing of the Holy Ghost and they say they're maniacs. David Wilkerson was a maniac. He saw unholiness in the house of God and he called it out. So they blackballed him from radio for like 10 years. Leonard Ravenhill was a a maniac. But those men have gone on to be with Jesus. So let me ask you, are you a maniac for the Lord? I want a maniac kind of faith. Brother Charlie has been walking with the Lord for some 40 years, unyielding. That's a maniac kind of faith. Brother Steve and Dee Dee have looked into the face of cancer and laughed in its face. That's either a maniac or a fool. I love maniac faith. Brother Michael sold this business in Louisiana. What a maniac! Doesn't know how he's going to make a living, but he's going trusting God. Brother Brent had only mixed shoulders with us one mission trip. Put his house up for sale, you maniac. John has got a maniac kind of faith for a baby. Caught flack from everybody that he loves. You know what it's like? Where are my single people again? You men who women have been kept from. Have women been kept from you? Say it. Women have been? Amen. Then let's talk holiness here for a minute. Isn't it difficult every time somebody says, oh, when are you going to get married? Isn't it hard when, when you find somebody nice and settle down? Don't they push you like, if you never get outside the church, you're never going to meet anybody outside the church? Exactly. I don't want to meet the kind of people that are outside the church. Not to marry. We meet them for evangelism. Not to marry. And I'm not into this missionary evangelism. Even I have limits as to what I can say in church. What do you think it's like when you want a baby and your relatives tell you all the time, are y'all pregnant yet? And you have a little reminder every month for 60 months. You got to have a maniac kind of faith. Oh, my God. You got to have the maniac kind of faith J.J. has. Says, look, our house is your house. Come move in. We will slap you in the face every time you do something wrong with the Word of God and we will lift you up again. It is a maniac kind of faith. The world must think we're crazy. What are these people? They live in communes. No, friends, we commune with the Holy Ghost. How about Nick and Gabe? They'll go to another city. They'll show up in a building and say, we thank God has told us that this is ours. 
That is a maniac kind of faith and they meet in it today. How about Zeke Lamb who is inheriting a business, a wonderful business that he grew up on TV in front of it and he walks in and says, Dad, my heavenly father's got a different business for me. It is a maniac kind of faith. This is how you get men's attention. How about my friend Justin Johnson? In unbearable circumstances, but perseveres like a crazy person. Maniac faith. I want to acknowledge that in some translations that you read, let's just mention King Jimmy as one of them. It's ambiguous as to whether or not the prophet really is crazy and really is a fool. Oddly enough, that makes my point perfectly, doesn't it? You ought to leave people wondering just a little bit. Are they crazy or is the Lord at work here? Just for the fun of it, look into the word yada. It means to know or to consider. The prophets were considered fools by Israel. How do we know they weren't fools? King Jimmy was wrong. And the way that I know that is because Hosea's kingdom, his his. His preaching, his ministry lasted four kings of Judah from Uzziah to Hezekiah. It lasted six kings of Israel from Zechariah to Hoshea. His contemporaries were Amos, Isaiah, and Micah. Were they fools? No, they were maniacs. Said, saw me in two, and I'm going to tell you the truth anyway. Hey, man, I was a piercer of sycamore fig trees when you found me, but the the word of the Lord came to me, and now I'm changed. They were maniacs in the faith. In the world's eyes, you ought to look just a little bit crazy. Look at 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. I never forget a young man who was associated with us at the time is in a coffee shop and he's telling somebody about the baptism in the Holy Ghost and they went to First Church of Better Than You. And she looked at him and she said, you know what? I just think all of that stuff is foolishness. He said, I read a verse about you today. And he turned it around. He said, well, that was not very nice. It's like you never met Jesus. He does that to people, you know. Because that day she had to go home and decide, was the young boy bad, mad, or divine? This is what the gospel does. It puts people on the spot. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. It is a trilemma, if you will. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. If everybody understands you without having to seek God, then you must not have gotten very deep into the mysteries of Christ, huh? You ought to be an enigma wrapped in a riddle, dressed as a proverb to some of your lost people. You really ought to because at times you'll be searingly convicting to them and at other times you'll be hugging them and at other times they'll feel like they shouldn't even stand in your presence. They ought to hate you and love you all at the same time because that's how they feel about Jesus. 
When they're in trouble, they call for his help. When they're doing well, they push him away. When he says they're doing wrong, they hate him. And when he says you can do better, sometimes they hope in him. How do they feel about you? It's probably time that we close. Our last scripture for the day comes from 2 Corinthians 5. Have I made you uneasy? I'm trying to. I am. I'm trying to make every one of you uneasy. Of course, I'm also inspired by you. I look out and I see the treesters sitting out there and I think surely those people are going to set the world on fire. You know how I know that? They're doing it now. The flame's just going to grow. Say, well, I, I don't know, Pastor, sometimes, sometimes when you say things I think you're talking about me, I'm talking about every one of you. And I'm talking about me. We got to go to a higher plane. We got to crank it up. We got to fan it into flame. You might be considered crazy, but need to go full blown berserker. The world's getting more serious. They sing songs about wrecking balls and dress like naked little fairies all over the place. They do. They're wicked. And we sit back like the church lady and hide behind our religious clothes and our religious speak. The gospel is relevant to the culture around us and it confronts the evils of the day without calling things that are not evil, evil. That just muddies the waters. Oh, church, search your hearts. Find out where you're supposed to stand. And then we have three sections of seating in here. Do you hear me? Just like raised three boats by land, by sea, and by air, he prophesied about. Three sections. And some of you are supposed to sit right in the middle. Some of you are supposed to sit on that side. And some here, and it's okay. It makes one body. I don't need you to agree with me. I need you to hear from God. I need you to search God's heart and then be willing to go without the acceptance of anybody around you except the Spirit of God. How else are we going to turn the world upside down? How else do you set nations ablaze? Man, you show me a man who never risked anything, never tried anything, and I will show you a man who never did anything. Of course I get it wrong a lot. I try an awful lot. Let me close with Paul's words. He'll do it better than I will, and then y'all can go eat and do something maniac crazy wherever you go. Any maniacs out there? Do we have a maniac kind of faith? 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 13. If we are out of our mind, (laughs) if we are out of our mind, there it is. If we are out of our mind, It is for the sake of God. Oh, come on, church. They may think that we're crazy, but it's for God's sake that we're crazy. Say, well, one time I got just a little bit crazy and it didn't work so well. Well, practice makes perfect, man. Get out there some more. How'd you swim the first time you were tossed in the pool? You don't do something a little bit crazy, nothing's ever going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I bet David was awful crazy today. He was dancing in his underwear. That ruffled a few feathers, didn't it? In the church and out, wouldn't it ruffle feathers? Doesn't mean God didn't tell him to do it. You know, we want prophets among us, but if somebody stands up, shaves their head with a sword, we throw them out of the church because they're weird. Well, you, you lose Ezekiel like that. 
Be careful that we don't set our boundaries where God hasn't set boundaries. And more than that, we kick down boundaries that God never set up and we get willing to be just a little bit out of our minds. If we're out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we're in our right mind, big if. If we are in our right mind, if we're in our right mind, it is for you. In other words, it sounds like the great apostle who had been carrying on about a great many things stopped and slowed down so they could catch up. But I'm doing it for you. I'm more than willing to explain the very few things I know about God if you want me to. But what's most important is that we do them when we have the opportunity. For Christ's love compels us. See, little Mary in that town in Ireland, the love of Christ compelled her. Her family thought she was crazy. Something new had gotten into her. Her whole life had changed, you know. Is she mad? Is she bad? Or something divine happened? They wanted to send her to an insane asylum. And then they came to the conclusion that she was the only sane one. She was the one. They were the ones living in the asylum. Look around you out there. Is it a sane world? They can call us insane, but I stand in the peace of God while they live insane lives. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Say, no longer. No longer longer for themselves. themselves. But for him who died for them and was raised again. Do you have a maniac kind of faith? The way that you show absolute crazy mad love for Jesus is when everything you do, you do for him. You stop protecting your pride. You stop protecting your reputation and you go after his with all of your heart. You say, well, Eric, sometimes they're one and the same. Granted, but often they're not. Jesus was not protecting his reputation when he healed on the Sabbath. He was not protecting his reputation when he cast out demons. He was not protecting his reputation in that house that his parents showed up outside of, and he said, who is my mother, brother, and sister? Great moves of God happen by men and women who have a reckless abandonment for what the world thinks, and they're willing to be considered an insane person for Jesus. Oh, I'm looking for some inspirational madness in here. I'm looking for some of you to stand up and not say 10 years ago I did, not say two years ago I did, but guess what I'm doing tomorrow? Let's stand our feet.